Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at viking.com. Coming up on the Money Beat podcast, Microsoft makes its biggest acquisition ever, and the Brexit odds are really starting to be a factor in the capital markets. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Welcome to the Money Beat podcast. Paul and Stephen here in the studio, and we have Dana Simaluka with us today, and we're going to talk about some big deals in the market. It's one of those weird days where, you know, obviously no one's really thinking about the markets first and foremost, but there is a lot going on. I mean, look, the Orlando shooting is clearly the biggest news today, and that's what everyone's really concerned about. But our job is the markets, and there is a lot of news going on in the markets today, so we are going to do what we're put here to do and talk about the markets and the reason we have Dana in with us, Dana, uh, one of our M&A mavens, a man who I would like to point out uh, made it to the podcast on time today, unlike some other people in this studio. Thank you, Paul. You're welcome, Dana. We're very proud of you. Very proud of you. I hope my mom's listening. Yes. Who are you, who you might be speaking to? Uh, I might be speaking to you. Um, and I'd also point out that Dana wasn't on time. He just beat me. Oh, come That's on, true. Steve. That is true. <laughs> In, in relative that's terms, that's what we're really talking about. And, and if I wasn't giving him directions from behind, telling him where to turn he and all that, totally would, I would have beat right. him. All that right. is true, actually. So you 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 took a. You know, it's tough being the one. boss, yeah, Paul. I mean, like I get a lot of right. You know, I, I wasn't just wasting time getting my iPhone. He's yeah. a, he's a benevolent dictator. <laughs> he is. He's very benevolent. Uh, look, there was a big M and A deal today. And I'm sure you've heard about. But I've heard about it by now. Microsoft twenty six billion dollar acquisition of LinkedIn. Uh, Dana, let me ask you. And because my first thought was, and I don't because I don't follow this as closely as you guys do, was that this seemed to me that it came out of the blue. Did it really come out of the blue? It it really did. It's inter- It's what makes M and A so interesting. Um, there's been a lot of speculation around Microsoft Salesforce. There's been a lot of speculation around Google, Twitter. But then what happens? All of a sudden, Microsoft comes along and does another social media deal. Um, I I I had seen I had seen zero speculation on this. I'm sure there has been, but but very little or no right. informed speculation. So they did a great job keeping this quiet. Was there there heat around LinkedIn? Because I know the price has been taking a huge huge dive this year. So was there talk around LinkedIn? I mean, uh, again, I, I I guess it's possible I hadn't been paying attention, and there has been. That's but not I've, possible. Well, yeah, that's probably true actually. Um, but I know for sure, uh, I can confidently say there's been more chatter around Twitter than there has around right. LinkedIn. And again, right. it's, it's just typical of M&A. Usually you're looking in one direction and something comes at you from another one. I mean, LinkedIn's big, the, you know, the big sell-off back in February did, mm-hmm. you know, among the analysts that raised the question, is it now going to be a takeover target? Now there's a, a big difference between actually becoming a takeover target and, you know, analysts and industry watchers sort of speculating about it. Because it did, that did wipe out a lot of, you know, LinkedIn at its peak had a very rich valuation and, and, you know, and it lost literally almost, I think, close to 50% in one day back on, I think it was February 5th. So so let's let's talk, before we get to, and I think a lot of people are probably interested in, in what this means for other companies in the space, as they like to say. But let's talk about what this means first for, for Microsoft and LinkedIn. 
why do this deal? Why do it now? What are both sides? I mean, LinkedIn gets a ton of money out of it. But beyond that, what do they get out of this? Well, let, let me just start by saying I am a, um, a jack of all trades and a master of none. So I, I can't really go too deep into strategically what this does for Microsoft. I'm hoping Steve can do that. But um, but from my perspective, it's it's um, it's clearly not a run-of-the-mill deal, especially not – I'll tell you one thing that's really wor- a point really worth making. Nowadays, in this recent M&A boom that we've had, that's cooled off a little bit this year, but still pretty robust, the defining deal has been one between two companies in the same space that you can combine and right. cut tons of overlapping costs. There, Even though there's been a lot of deals, there's been very little adventurism. This is actually a pretty adventurous deal because Microsoft is not huge in social. And again, somebody who knows the industry better than I do can talk more about this. But I feel pretty confident saying that, you know, Microsoft obviously in software was was a juggernaut, you know, owned it before anybody else did, basically. And by the way, I'm still amazed their market cap is $400 billion because they effectively, and I'm sure this is oversimplifying, but to, oversimplifying, but to a large extent, they missed the Internet and they missed social. Right. Um, and this seems like you know so 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 the and point they, is and they missed mobile and off yeah the bat. right like so many other people did by the right. way um, so they're not huge in social this is really this is going into a territory that they're not huge in right now now there there must be some overlap um, with their existing business but to be honest with you I'm not 100 percent sure what it is well what I think is interesting and it's funny because I kind of come at it from a different perspective because I've been writing a lot about they have. They've been working on on Ethereum, this this Bitcoin alternative, and they've been implementing a lot of it into their Azure business tools. So I've been kind of writing about Microsoft from that end of it. So what they're doing and what they're trying to do, and they're, they're doing to some success, is is to get into this whole idea of offering cloud-based business services. And that's how this fits in. It's business to business. It's What LinkedIn really becomes for them is – a network of business professionals and all the data that you can mine to then transfer over to what you offer businesses and 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 into the entire package into the of Microsoft it. you know office what is it 365 exactly right you know you can you know you have all those profiles and you know on LinkedIn you can right. you know people keep them up to date on their office it all becomes a yeah. sort of seamless product right so that's that's the bet for them what i think is interesting is that Okay, they paid $26 billion, biggest deal in their history. They have it. It's not a huge, you know, it's not the end of the world, you know, but it, it's a big deal. Uh, they don't see profit coming out of this, I think, until 2019. So, like, it's it's just interesting to me. It's, it's a huge deal. It's a long-term play, right? But it seems like a lot of money to pay. Well, it just seems like a lot of money to pay for something that you don't see – profitable for you for another couple of years and then is it going to be a huge pro- like how much money are they going to have to get out of this to justify that purchase price is my question i'll tell you something else it's not just the the raw dollars but um i i saw somewhere that they're paying like a hundred times cash flow or something like that so and i don't know what linkedin's revenue is but i suspect this they're paying multiples of revenue so it's expensive yeah. Even though Microsoft is four hundred billion dollars, I mean twenty five billion is not chump change for anybody. Right. But I'll but I'll tell you one thing that I think is interesting is that um I was kind of expecting Microsoft's stock to go down by more. And it's conceivable the reason it's only down two or three percent is because it's still effectively a rounding error for them. 
But I kind of take away from that that their investors are saying, um, okay, kind of interesting. Right. Um, we, you need to do something bold. You guys have not been bold for a long time. We're going to go with you on this one. Yeah. At least for now. No, and I think the real interesting part about this is this is Microsoft's biggest deal, and it's not even you know the, right. The right. next biggest deal is I think around eight billion, and it was for I believe Nokia. Yeah. Um, it, this is a you know in Microsoft's history with deals is not great. Nokia being a prime example yeah, of that. Right. A Quantiv, which was you know announced in two thousand seven, they've written all those deals. Two deals down. that got completely yeah. written off. Right. Um, you know, so it will be interesting to see how Microsoft does with it now yeah. that it's bought it. And now let's you know you, you mentioned Twitter earlier, uh, LinkedIn stock obviously surging today up more than forty percent. Uh, what does this mean for Twitter? Because all the talk had been about Twitter, right? Does this signal anything? For Twitter, does it signal anything for other social media? Is this a good thing, a bad thing, a neutral thing? What do you think, Dan? Well, I suppose you could go either way on it. I mean, I don't, I hadn't seen much speculation about Microsoft Twitter. If there was, this presumably would be considered bad for Twitter because it takes a buyer sure. away. On the other hand, I think most of the speculation has centered around other potential buyers, and it's conceivable Twitter investors get excited because they say, oh, well, there's a demand for social networks. Maybe right. Twitter is the next one to go. And I'm just going to super quick look and see what Twitter stock is doing. That's one of you guys knows. I um, know yeah, sure it was enough, up actually, high single digits. No, big time, 6%. So, yeah. 6%, yeah. That answers it. Yeah. So they, they think maybe this means – and Twitter is you – know, it's interesting because LinkedIn was always the one that you said, okay, look, you can see what their business model is. Whereas Twitter, it was always, how are they going to monetize this thing? How are they possibly going to make money? They're not making enough money. They're not doing, you know. I mean, LinkedIn, like for Microsoft, you can sort of see it fitting. Yeah. I mean, that's the yeah. thing. It, it, you know, it, if, if they can enhance the the offerings that they, you know, for businesses, right. um, you know, in, in, in the cloud offerings, that's a big, you know, win for making Microsoft Office stickier. That's a big thing for Microsoft because it has been behind in getting into the cloud. It's playing, you know, catch up in, in that area. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it helps them sort of, you know, defend in some ways, the, you know, Microsoft Office, right. which has been, you know, sort of struggling. I mean, not struggling. It still throws off tons of cash, but hasn't been growing and has been facing a lot yeah. of competition from, you know, other, you know, like, you know, well, Google look, they, and you know, others. I, I give Satya some credit, Satya Nadella, who's been running Microsoft. Now, after a, a decade of Balmer, where Microsoft went absolutely nowhere, he has seen the handwriting on the uh, on the wall. He understands what, what, uh, their operating system is and isn't anymore and what they and that they needed to do something next right they needed to go in another direction and so far i you know it seems like they've done it relatively successfully i yeah. mean this was a company that the couple of years was it was dead in the water it was yeah. a huge cash cow but it was dead in the water stock hadn't moved for a decade and, and everything they did had been wrong yeah and the stock's moved i mean it's interesting to see how linkedin stock has done recently versus microsoft stock and right. it's you know kind of the mirror image of one another right. microsoft stock hasn't done quite that well but i imagine that helps explain why they're you know have the confidence to try this yeah. right now yeah all right let's uh let's end it there let's take a break when we come back on the other side of this we are going to talk about a big topic over the weekend big topic in the markets the brexit vote i'm veronica dagger Do you want to know how the rich invest, spend, and protect their money? Then listen to the Watching Your Wealth podcast. 
For more information, check us out at wsj.com slash podcasts and find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and now Spotify. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Money Beat Podcast. Paul and Stephen here in the studio. And, you know, the markets, certainly here in the U.S. for a long time, we really were not giving any weight or credence or credibility to this whole idea that Britain might actually leave the European Union. But certainly over the weekend, if you hadn't heard about it before this weekend, you are now taking the, the word Brexit pretty seriously. I think it's sort of gone with the polls. I right. mean, right. you know, the leave the euro polls have been coming have been coming um, back strong. Has surprisingly strong. And to help us break this down, because we are no by no means experts in this, uh, two of our colleagues from London are with us, Mike Bird and John Sindow. Gentlemen, how are you? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. I'm great, thanks. So. Let's start with these polls. You were talking about how surprising have the poll results been recently? The, the poll results have been pretty much all over the place for quite a while, um, and there's been a big split between uh, the polls conducted online and the polls conducted by phone. With the ones conducted by phone giving a, a big lead for uh, the Remain campaign uh, to, to stay in the European Union, and and the ones conducted online being uh, a lot closer to 50-50, basically. How are the, the, you know, sort of, you know, the betting shops doing on this? Because for a while, I think they had 75-25 uh, remain, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're around a bit a bit higher than 30% for leave now. Um, the interesting thing is that uh, this time around, the investors seem very focused on, on the betting odds more than the polls. Uh, and uh, the reason is probably that in previous elections and referendums, the polls were not very accurate. Sort of, uh, I mean, as Mike was saying, now everybody's paying attention to what phone polls say respect to online polls, which is something, a distinction that people didn't care about just a year ago. Um, and well, the uh, betting odds, to be honest, have not correlated very well with uh, some, like the pound sterling, for example, for quite some months, but as people have started putting more money into it, we've sort of seen this relationship tighter. Um, it's hard to know it's, whether it's because investors watch polls or polls follow investors, but um, there it is. Right. And then uh, the, the story that, John, that you wrote that came out today was about how this might affect uh, bond yields and especially UK bond yields. You know, I, I wanted to, I just want to give people some numbers in case you're not following these very closely, folks. Here are some of the current yields on 10 year debt. And let's play a little game, actually. I'll read these and you tell me which ones I'm talking about. Uh, 1.62%. Um, what, what, what? Are we playing? Yeah, we're playing. We're playing. What nation uh, I'm is that? Say that's US. Yeah, that's US. Okay. Uh, 0.02%. I, I know that one. That's the, that's the German tenure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been watching yeah. it all day. Yeah, that is. Uh, negative 0.17%. Switzerland? Uh, Switzerland? No, no. no very close. I think they're negative too, but no. I'm, I'm, they actually might be this so close that it's indistinguishable. But I was going for Japan. Uh, yeah. It's minus 0.4, isn't it? Uh, or around that? Something like that. I, th I think so. And then 1.21%. 1.21%. Yeah. Uh, that is UK. That is the UK, and that is what we want to talk about. Where do these numbers go? 
it's it's so it's so confusing to even frame the question, right? Where do they go if you guys vote to go out? Where do they go if you vote to stay in? Does anyone have a real handle on what is going to happen after this vote? Uh, the, the surprise here, and that's what sort of the story was about, is that investors and, and analysts seem to be given very different, you know, uh, replies to this, uh, to this very simple question. Um, I mean, obviously, the, the sort of the main driver of bond yields is always where the uh, central bank sets interest rates, or rather where investors believe it will set interest rates in the, in the future. Um, but it's true that we've, like, it's not the only component of bond yields, especially the, the longer dated ones. And uh, there's a lot of, you know, risk off environment to that. Investors right. running for safe assets, which is mostly what seems to have happened over the last couple of weeks since the uh, May jobs report in the U.S. And also, of course, the effect of quantitative easing, central banks buying bonds, which also affects longer maturities more because um, at that point, investors don't know where interest rates will be mm-hmm. So uh, in 30 years, let's say. So that's what makes yields go up and down. Um, and the question is, the question that they're facing is, um, so what will happen if uh, UK votes to leave? Um, right. First of all, what will the Bank of England do? Um, a lot of analysts seem to assume that the Bank of England would lower rates um, to sort of try and tame any economic shock. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that would sort of make you believe that yields would go down as well. Um, also, you know, if investors want safety, also they would flock into uh, gilts. But some others say that, you know, the shock of, of foreigners seeing, you know, that, that the UK leaves uh, the European Union would lead them to shun UK assets, and that would drive risk premiums up, if you believe such a thing. Um, I, I'm skeptical, to be honest, that foreign investors will ever, ever sort of factor in the possibility of UK default. But some analysts seem to, seem to believe that, at least in the near term, that could, that could happen. Wow. That actually, yeah, I mean, you're right. That does seem, uh, it seems pretty inconceivable, the thought that the, the UK would default on its debt. What would happen... Is it are are the risks? And I have to assume I know the answer to this question before I answer. But are the unknowns greater if you vote to leave the the EU, or what if you vote to stay in? But given there's just been so much sort of psychological and political damage done already, even if you vote to stay in, are there risks? I mean, I, I think the interesting thing in a in a lot of markets is that everyone's found it very difficult to work out how much. Brexit is being priced in to certain assets and mm-hmm. how much it's this idea that the UK economy might be slowing down generally. So, for example, uh, in, in the pound in sterling, um, it's, it's very difficult to tell. The Bank of England thought about half of the drop up to early May uh, was due to Brexit, but it's extremely hard to know. And there's every chance that the UK votes to stay in the, the EU and, and the pound still ends the year lower. No, it's just... uh, also, there is another factor interesting with the currency, which is that precisely, you know, the fact if the currency drops a little, if there is a Brexit, um, in theory, it's, it's sort of good in a way for the economy because exports can go up. And but if if pound disorderly plunges, uh, a lot of investors seem to believe that what does the Bank of England then do? Because if it lowers rates, um, it will plunge even deeper. So the Bank of England could, in that situation, raise rates. And then, you know, bond yields would go the other way and they would also go up and then maybe stocks. 
could go up and mm. because you know the lower pound would make revenues for companies which you know most of them in the FTSE 100 are international and have most of their revenues abroad they, they would look better so what would then happen would investors sell those companies because of Brexit or would they go up because they would look more attractive it's 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 hard to tell yeah no I, one of the things i find interesting about this is just how it's the central bank's sort of involvement in the markets at this point has thrown off how our expectations of everything. I mean, I can't help sure. but go back to the U.S., gets its AAA rating uh, stripped of it, and treasuries went down. The yield on treasuries went right, down. Right, right. It was a – right. What, what sounds like a big risk event, the U.S. losing a AAA, turns into the markets – buying U.S. government debt because of the perceived safe haven. Still, the market sees the safe haven, even though there was the, the loss of the AAA. You're right. So, you know, mm. do you get that kind of an effect? Yeah, and yeah. which is the same thing. I mean, you vote to leave. That should be concerning. Right. But people are going to go to the safe haven. Right. We, we may have a, a thing a bit too much of Eurozone language when we talk about the ratings of sovereign debt. I mean, in the end, these countries print their own money. And so, so the possibility of default is, is basically exactly right. Um, so it, it kind of makes sense that you know people flock into these bonds when there's risk, rather right. the other way around. Are people concerned? Uh, what are the sort of econ- I know I've I've read a couple of things where, and you know it's funny because I see a lot of names and I know some names to an extent, but I don't really quite understand you know where everyone stands on this. So I may you know miss some of the subtleties, but what are sort of the economic concerns? How bad do we realistically think things will be should the UK vote to leave the EU? I mean, I think the the Treasury forecast suggests that GDP would be pretty much flat for a a couple of years afterwards. Mm -hmm. I I think I've got that right. Um, the, The main risks are that the UK gets a particularly bad deal from its partners in the rest of the EU after uh, a vote to leave. Uh, there's some discussion of this particularly because it sets a bad example. If you let the UK mo- uh, leave the EU smoothly, and then the next time some country starts to think about leaving, they'll be able to look to the UK's example and say, oh, well, there's no big deal there. Um, and that's not necessarily a good thing from the EU's perspective. Mm. Now, t- tell us, talk to us a bit about sort of the difference also, though, between the UK leaving where um, the EU and, a, you know, a member of the monetary union leaving. Um, and, and, and sort of the, how much more of a concern is that? Well, I, I mean, I would argue that probably it's, it's like apples and oranges, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, politically, uh, for voters, it might look a bit like the same. I think economically, of course, it has nothing to do with one another. I mean, in the end, giving up your own currency um, means much more than whatever deal the UK has got with the EU, which is basically an international treaty, because uh, like the political links are still very much um, based on, on you know what the different states vote respect to one another rather than the European Parliament, which is um, well, mostly representative and it has some small powers. But yeah. in, in the end, breaking up a single currency, that would be extremely difficult. And the, you know, the, the consequences for markets of that of suddenly, you know, the, the Spanish euro not being the same as the Italian euro, like the, an orderly de- dissolution of that. I, I mean, I, I wouldn't say it's impossible, but it's definitely very hard to imagine 
Um, whereas in the case of the UK, I mean, in the end, we we're basically talking about redefining some international treaty rules. And right, right. I mean, as, as Mike was saying, it, it's, it's hard to tell, but also, um, it's like the, the proponents of, of Brexit very often say that the UK could get a, a good deal and, you know, still be in the, in the economic area of the European Union and everything. And that significantly wouldn't change almost anything uh, with the current status. But of course, um, they would also have to uh, keep paying, keep contributing to the EU budget, which is something that they've that, that's precisely one of the reasons why they want to leave. So, uh, hmm. you know, would the Brexit proponents want to be in that situation? It's it's a very yeah. it's a very interesting question. It's kind of like uh, it strikes me. It's kind of like breaking up with somebody that you still work with, and you have to kind of try to right. You have to come up with a new arrangement that works for everybody. You're not together anymore, but you're still kind of together. You know, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I, I think someone like needs an analogy like that because uh, yeah. um, no- Norway has a, a relationship with the EU where. Norway contributes to the EU budget. It has to accept things like freedom of movement uh, within the EU, uh, but it doesn't send representatives to the European Parliament, and it mm. gets opt-outs from some of the social legislation. And I think somebody compared that to, yeah, getting a divorce and, and staying in the same house as your Right, own. right. Um, just real quick, I don't know if you guys have any, you know, sort of thoughts on this, but I'll, I'll just throw this out. We had a post out on Friday just talking about the fact that it seemed like the markets and investors weren't really pricing in, you know, any concern into the euro based on sort of some of the options trading. Uh, what's your take on why that is? And I might be throwing you guys completely under the bus with that one. <laughs> I feel like it's a little bit of a, a binary issue, and it, it really depends on what the aftermath is, which, I mean, you know, we don't know how the vote's going to go, and there's some known unknowns about the choices the UK could make, but the aftermath of the rest of the EU is like the, it's the third step down the line. If that turns out to be negative, if it emboldens uh, various pro uh, leaving the, e, uh, the euro movements in, in different countries, then, um, then I could see it definitely being negative for the euro. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, if that doesn't happen, then, you know, maybe they're not wrong not to price it in because the, the, the eurozone has a number of other different things going on. Um, and I can understand traders and investors thinking that it's more about the macro environment in, in Europe right now. Um, than it is about the political risk. Yeah, and there's also the issue of how you hedge it, which um, you know goes back to the issue of, of guilt and exact. How how do we know what's going to happen? You right. know, like if you don't know what would go up and down, or the issue we talk about the FTSE 100, like you know, w- would those companies be hit by you know uh, Brexit when most of the revenues come from abroad, or wouldn't they? Or would they get a kick out of a lower pound, like? I feel investors don't quite know, and uh, hedging becomes expensive from what they're telling us, and that also means that uh, at some point they, they look at it as a trade-off and, and maybe decide it's better not to do a lot about it because yeah. we could be wrong and end up losing up more money. Right. All right. Uh, well, the next week and a half we'll all be talking about this a lot more. June 23rd is the vote. And I'm sure we'll be calling on you guys a, a few times uh, yeah, in yeah. between now and you, then. You might as well just put us on your calendar for June 24th, without a doubt. Uh, Mike Bird, John Sindro, thank you very much, gentlemen. I know it's the end of your day there, so I appreciate your hanging out with us. Thank you. Thanks all right. Thanks a lot. All right. Thank you. And everyone, thanks for listening. We will catch up with you again later this week. 
This episode is brought to you by Charles Schwab. Decisions made in Washington can affect your portfolio every day, but what policy changes should investors be watching? Washington Wise is an original podcast for investors from Charles Schwab that unpacks the stories making news in Washington and how they may affect your finances and portfolio. Listen at schwab.com slash Washington Wise.